Hello, everybody. This is your girl Zupa, and welcome to the Fall Awake podcast. Our mission here is to use our privileged knowledge and platform to contribute to the development of social awareness by engaging in brave discussions with our community. Thank you for tuning in. My intuition is telling me there'll be better days. I sit in silence and find whenever I meditate, my fears alleviate, my tears evaporate. I know you're desperate for a change, let the pen glide. But the only real change come from inside. But the only real change come from inside. But the only real change come from the cemeteries are unchanged. I see men cry. But the only real change come from inside. But the only real change come from inside. Welcome again to uh, Follow It Podcast, everybody. This is your girl, Zupa. And it's Tamara. And uh, we would like to uh, welcome our guest today, a very special woman, Shanice. How Hi. are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. I am really excited that you're here. Um, I've been following your work from afar. And I just mm-hmm. wanted to like have a conversation. You seem to have so much wisdom about a lot of topics are also interesting to me. So um, I was like, we really need to talk and have a conversation. I think it would be beneficial for our listeners to huh. have your perspective, especially on the topic that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Um, I would like to start off by uh, just, you know, if you could introduce yourself, tell the people what you do and, you know, a little bit of your journey towards what you do right now. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so happy to be here. Thank you for reaching out and for the invitation and also for just, uh, you know, curating this space. I think it's so important okay, yeah, that yeah, we have you. that we have platforms where we can share mm-hmm. um, and connect to each other. So thank you for that. My name is Shanice Nicole, and I am a facilitator and educator. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm also a writer. I have a children's book that is officially now available for pre-order. Yay. Wow, nice. Yay. So as of, as of yesterday, so it's very, very new news. So very excited. It's, it's called Dear Black Girls, and it's based on one of my poems. And so I'm also, I call myself an outspoken word artist. Oh, so I, nice. share, I share poetry across the city. So yeah, I do a lot of different things. And most recently, especially I'd say in the last uh, 18 months or so, I've been doing a lot of community organizing, specifically in the form of fundraising for Black and or Indigenous community members and families. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's been pretty incredible, actually, to think of doing that facilitation and, and getting money directly to people who need it. And so I'm going through all of the the remaining e-transfers right now and sending out the rest of the money but based on my calculations mm-hmm. you know we've been able to raise close to forty thousand dollars in the past 18 months oh nice. that's amazing wow yeah, Great so, job. yeah that's so just dope. really thinking about like how we can best support each other um mm-hmm. and so so much of my work is about connecting people with resources and supporting people and so that looks like a lot of a lot of different things but i would say primarily i am an educator Perfect. Okay, I see that. Yeah. Um, I, I know, like, when I, I got a glimpse of your work, it was uh, one of my girlfriends actually uh, had a uh, workshop. You were you were facilitating a workshop, I'm guessing. Okay, cool. And yeah. she attended it. And then when she came out of there, apparently at the end of the workshop, she was like, oh, my gosh, I have a friend who's doing a podcast. And, you know, she felt like you the way you were facilitating and things. It's a lot of things that I'm interested in and that we talk mm-hmm. about all the time. 
So she came to you and said, uh, you know, I think you could connect with my friend. And then when she came back home, she she gave me your information, your Instagram. And then I reached out to you. That's um, amazing. Yeah, it's it's really crazy that way. You know, it's my friend was very vital uh, for this moment right now, you know. Mm. And um, I'm really interested in knowing, like, you know, your background, because it was a workshop for Concordia alumni, if I'm not mistaken, that you were facilitating. Okay, and cool. I was wondering, um, did you attend? Uh, yeah, I went to Concordia uh, between 2009 and 2014. Okay, okay. Yeah. And, and where, what did you study there? I did a major in human relations and a minor in psychology. Okay. And I, I, was, I was also working on my minor in sexuality studies, but um, I decided I wanted to graduate instead of doing more credits. So perfect. So I didn't. I never finished that. Minor. I had a feeling. I had a feeling that in the way you work and your approach and everything, I was like, "There's some something about human relations and the way she works." Yeah, you know no. what I mean? <laughs> I was like, shout, I could, out, "Shout out to And also, just to clarify for our listeners, when you say that mm-hmm. you're an educator and facilitator, can you just uh, provide a little bit more detail into like what specific domain, what type of workshops? you prefer to do uh just a little thing like mm-hmm. that yeah for sure so specifically this and like in the context of my independent mm-hmm. education um because in like my daytime job i work at mcgill university as an equity education mm-hmm. advisor so I'm, I'm very familiar with the university mm-hmm. context but right now i'm not representing mcgill so in my independent work um very very similar to the work that i do within that institution so around anti-oppression and anti-racism in particular okay. mm-hmm. but like my training and facilitation, most of it came from my time uh, at Head and Hands, which is a local nonprofit in yeah. NDG. Mm-hmm. And then I was being trained how to facilitate sex ed workshops. Mm-hmm. So my background is in uh, sex education, particularly for youth, but kind of across mm-hmm. the board, because um, we all we all need sex ed Absolutely. really bad. Um, <laughs> So my my journey to kind of anti-oppression or anti-racism education was through sex ed, which I think is is also just so exciting. I, w- I could talk about sex ed forever, yeah. <laughs> but one thing that I think is so incredible um, about sex education is the potential for, for us to have conversations about so much because mm-hmm. um, it was through my like learning of sex ed that I started thinking about race and gender and yeah, class. Definitely. And so I think it's, it's, and of course ability. And so it's interesting how, you know, we can have conversations um, or go in directions that we might not have imagined. Definitely. And um, because when we think of sexuality, we just, you know, for people who don't know right. like myself back in the day, it was just really like, okay, I'm a woman. I have a vagina, you know, like it was very, um, you know, within those specific roles that we have been uh, socialized in. I, my mind wasn't really open to expanding further, but it's, it's uh, crazy that you say that because a lot of people, especially I feel like in the black community, we don't, we don't talk and discuss and understand how much sex and uh, you know, sexual identification and our sexuality and our fluidity and everything like that really does play a part in the intersections of our life and, how other people see us and everything. Mm -hmm. And um, like just you saying sexuality Mm -hmm. and anti-racism and and oppression, I I never even thought until now how they are so intricately uh, connected in a sense. Absolutely. The linking is is so important. And I think even just, you know, thinking about how, you know, our perspective shifts, our understandings shift as well. And as we become more expansive, 
So, you know, one of the learnings that mm -hmm. I had to do was around disrupting this idea of of even the body, you know, so we have this, mm. we have this association mm. that this like all women have vaginas, but that's not true mm -hmm. because people across different genders have vaginas. And I think it's interesting just how the ways in which we're socialized will shape kind of how we understand the world and how we understand each other. And so I think something that's happening now even more so is that we're now understanding gender and sexuality mm. and bodies and identity overall to be a lot more expansive. Um, and I think that's so important, right? Because yeah. uh, mm -hmm. we are so much more mm -hmm. than, for example, like the, our genitals or our like reproductive systems. And I think, I know for myself as like a cisgender woman, um, it's important for me to kind of reflect on, okay, so what does it mean if, if I, as a woman, I'm trying Our to proclaim body. like I am yeah, more exactly. than my body, exactly. but yet we define ourselves based on a body yeah, part. Yeah, and I really think you know? that, so now it's a really interesting thing. Podcast, I think we have to kind I'm of unpack. I'm sure I'm going to need you to come back again because there's so much, there's so many things we could talk about. Um, but the For reason sure. why there's I so many to talk to you today is because um, I, uh, I attended one of your lives recently when everything started going crazy. And uh, it was really crazy how um, your perception mm -hmm. on, on how Black people should be um, responding or how they should be uh, taking care of their mental health and stuff like that really resonated with me. It was like conversations I was having with my friends before we attended the the live right. and they were like, oh my gosh, Zupa, this is what you were saying. You know, there was this one thing that, that, stuck, uh, that uh, stood out for me. It was how you were saying that, mm. you know, the way Black people are responding to the somewhat universal pain that is happening right now Um you know, we should give each other space to act the way we're all mm -hmm. acting, you know? Yeah. And that for me, I totally agree with that. Uh, but it made me oh, want to sure. even like, I really wanted to have a podcast with you, but watching that live, I was like, I really want to dig deep. <laughs> I want to dig deep with her. Like, and then when we were going back and forth as to what we could talk about specifically, mm -hmm. and uh, you uh, mentioned, you know, the internalized anti-blackness. I brought that topic mm -hmm. back to Tamara yes. when we were talking about it. And, you know, oftentimes when we, we decide on a topic, we're going to talk, talk about it between us yeah. to really, to really deconstruct the topic and then go our separate ways and then, you know, mm -hmm. uh, inform ourselves separately and then come back. Um, so it was very interesting because I, me and her, we were, take, we were taking our time to start to understand that the depth of anti-blackness. And mm -hmm. I would really like for you to um, give us your perception on it. And also what it means for you. Because me, when I heard it, like, honestly, I, I, I had to commend Zupa because mm -hmm. it's something that I don't think of enough. But it's something that I'm pretty sure we have uh, manifested in more than one way in our life. Right. Um, so uh, like she brought that up and after that I was thinking uh -huh. about it and I realized like, damn, like anti, totally. you know, internalized anti-blackness is, it's really a thing. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So if you could like even just break it down your perspective on it and uh, let the, our listeners Absolutely. know um, the implications that it might have on uh, someone on their self-concept and their everyday life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such an important conversation. Um, mm, and I mm. think as a starting as a starting point, I just want to like start with love mm -hmm. because I have I have so much love for Black people, and yeah, and I think that's important. And I think we, mm -hmm. you know, above mm -hmm. all, what we need to be doing right now is loving on each other and ourselves. Um, 
as much as possible. And, and the reason why, not just because that's like important, but it's especially important because mm-hmm. we are living in, in and under a society mm-hmm, that is mm-hmm. anti-Black, right? Mm-hmm, so that is, mm-hmm. our, that is our air, right? Anti-Blackness is the air that we breathe. And so what we don't need to be mm-hmm. doing is reproducing, mm-hmm. right? And within ourselves as well. And I think I think that internal work is it's the hardest work. It's the it's the lifelong work because you are with you forever. But it's so so important. And I think especially right now, what's what's happening is there's a kind of across the board. You yeah, know, there's absolutely. a major desire to to jump to the external, right? To fix the outside, and and that is important. However, mm-hmm. the internal work that is the the hard work, right? Like the looking in the mirror. And it's and also I've been talking about like mm-hmm. the intensity of us having to do this kind of learning yeah. and reflection while under isolation during a global plague. You know, like there are there are all of these factors that I don't think we're always taken into consideration. And that's also why things are so heightened and intense mm-hmm. in in social media, because our environment has shifted mm-hmm. so much. Right. Social media is now our mm-hmm. world in many ways mm-hmm. because we're not mm-hmm. in community with each other how we were four or five months ago. So anyways, I start there because I think context is so important. And one thing that I think is often yes. missing, and I, you know, I, I reference this in my, in that live a lot is like nuance, you know? And so, so, so often mm-hmm. we're having these conversations without Absolutely. enough nuance, which is why we can't have the conversation the way we need to, because we're missing nuance. I love that. Um, and so I start with love for black people. Um, yes. And my, my love for black people also requires me to say hard things. Right. And one of those hard things is that we have deeply internalized anti-blackness. And how could you not? Right. Because if you're living in an anti-black world, in order to survive in it, you have to internalize Mm -hmm. the anti-blackness. Otherwise, how do you literally like survive? Right. Um, Like think about the toll. Here's a tangible example. If you think about Mm -hmm. like the the feeling that you've been carrying for like these past three, four weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Now, imagine if we felt like that all of the time. And in many ways, like, Mm -hmm. there hasn't been that much of a significant shift, right? Like, nothing really new has happened. Yeah. Like, what is new is that for many people, it has now become clear. But I say that just Mm -hmm. because in many ways, as Black people, we have to survive and we have to cope. And so in order to do that... And we tolerate. We we ignore, Mm -hmm. we suppress. And then um, then we replicate. And we tolerate, right? And because it's mm-hmm. the way you're feeling right now and the way you've been feeling, of course, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Our, we, are, mm-hmm. we are exhausted, right? And so I, again, I'm going back to compassion because it's so important. And, and for me, I have so much compassion for, mm-hmm. you know, really any way that a Black person right. tries to survive in an anti-Black world. But, and, not but, and I'm also interested in, in yes, kind of yeah. talking about how can we shift right from survival to thrival Mm -hmm. and what can that look like in the context of terms of what we have control over and I think what we have control over the external is our internalized anti-blackness so if we can understand that in order for white supremacy to be the norm Mm -hmm. right in the same way that like I said anti-blackness is the air white supremacy is also the air right so it's it's how our institutions function yeah it's how we're taught to learn right it's in our education system um, and so what ends up happening is in order for, for white supremacy or whiteness to be propped up mm-hmm. as the standard, there, ha- there has to be a comparative, right? And so on the other end of that, if we imagine that whiteness has been propped up as the gold mm-hmm. star, 
as in the thing to be, as in mm-hmm. beautiful, as in excellent, as in all of those things. On the other end of that is blackness, right? And so anti-blackness refers to all of the ways in which blackness is coded or presented mm-hmm. or yeah. no, marginalized in order to prop up whiteness. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like, that's just like the, the reality that we're working in. And so mm-hmm. what that means is no matter the system, this is going to be kind of that context. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then internalized anti-blackness looks like a lot of, a lot of different things, right? So a few examples, it's summertime, thinking about all of the times mm-hmm. black people in particular girls, but I would say across all genders are told yeah. that we need that. to be mindful of the that. sun. Mm-hmm because we don't want to get darker. Mm-hmm. So that is internalized anti-blackness because it's based on mm-hmm. the fact that, right, whiteness is the gold star, is the, mm-hmm. is the supreme. Mm-hmm. Therefore, if you get darker, you're moving away from what is supposed to be the gold star, right? And so we internalize mm-hmm. that when we tell black children, get out of the sun. Another example, things like, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, get off of your knees mm-hmm. so that they don't turn, so they, they don't darken. Right. Like a lot of fear. And then, of yeah. course, we can talk about the, the billion dollar skin bleaching industry that exists mm-hmm. across the world. Um, and so that's a good example of looking at the particular mm-hmm. um, the particular system, which mm-hmm. is yeah. colorism or shadism. And so that's like a that's a subset of racism. Right. So what that what that looks like is one of my favorite images to show in a workshop is um, Andre 3000 is on stage and he's wearing a sweater mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm. says no, across true. cultures, darker skin people are treated worse. Why? So that's another example of internalized anti-blackness, right? And, and per- perpetuating white supremacy. And an example I also like to share my cousin, Anita, she always shared this. She shared this one with me before she was at a bus stop in the sunshine and standing in the sun, enjoying the sun and an Asian woman went over to her and like opened her umbrella and Mm -hmm. and put my cousin under the umbrella Mm -hmm. to protect her from the sun right so that's a that's an interesting Mm -hmm. example of how colorism impacts across different Mm -hmm. racial and ethnic communities these examples are perfect for let's say someone who does not think about that but when you when you mentioned that and i started reading upon it you talk a lot about nuances Mm -hmm. Uh, for me what it means is like the layers that of these um ideologies or these right. like realities they're so layered right and for me i'm i really i'm interested in the mm-hmm. the way these things manifest in a subtle way like the way you're explaining it to, like it's so clear those are like the examples that i feel like i could see like and i feel like it would be easy for someone right uh can see in the naked eye but for me i was like it's so layered. Like, for, sure. for instance, uh, an example, I was watching this, uh, I don't know which video I was watching, and it was a black mother who has a dark mm-hmm. skin, and they were talking about experiences of, uh, of colorism. Yeah. I think it was on the Red Bull Talk. And um, her daughter is darker than her. And so, you know, mm-hmm. she realized that as her daughter mm-hmm. was growing up, she overcompensating by giving her compliments about her darker shade. Like, wow, you, your skin is so beautiful. You, mm. you know what I mean? For me, that's what I find the most dangerous. And that's obviously right. based on my perception. Mm-hmm. I find those are the most dangerous subtlety of these issues. Like, it could be a compliment. And the person who's receiving it thinks it's a compliment. Mm-hmm. The person who's giving it thinks it's a compliment. But it's loaded with anti-blackness. You know what I mean? It's like you're overcompensating, giving this idea to your daughter. And then at some point, her daughter was like, well, I mean, why is, this, why is my skin so different that you have to always be 
complimenting me on it you know what I mean right Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's a good example of like okay how do we kind of pull out some of that nuance right because I would also say that I think it's like extra important for you know parents educators Mm -hmm. etc of darker skinned black children to be complimenting them because of the fact that they don't get that anywhere else right and so but again I think it's important like how do we have those conversations in a nuanced way where in this particular example Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. child is not you know confused as to what are the what's the reasoning behind the compliments Mm -hmm. um and so I think that you know and that requires hard conversations you know with our kids and with our families about you know complexities and challenges even within our own communities not to mention externally Mm -hmm. as well um so yeah, so that's like a good example of like, you know, there's some nuance in there where I'm just like, I actually think darker skinned, um, I mean, kids across across yeah. races mm-hmm. and cultures, but specifically Definitely. darker skinned black babies need yeah. to be extra loved on because the world will not, you know, and we can also see, again, you know, conversation a lot of people want to mm-hmm. have and it's hard and I get it, but we also need to talk about the impact of media, right? And so one thing that you're seeing in media, mm-hmm. there's like slight shifts in some regards, but again, an absence of darker skinned black babies and the predominant um, people who are going to be featured are going to be lighter skinned babies with also separates us even more. And so yeah. really mm-hmm. thinking about how hair texture, skin tone, yeah. um, facial features, and that, you know, creates hierarchies of beauty as well. Um, and so we have to talk about media's role in the perpetuation of certain Definitely. narratives. Yeah, while preparing for this episode, we asked our listeners what internalized I- anti-blackness means to them. Some of them said, uh, you tell someone they're ugly every day, they will start to believe it. You know, so it it, mm-hmm. it does do uh, a lot what you said about uh, what people see uh, in the media, you know, and some Absolutely. other people said internalizing how the world treats us, uh, feeling like you matter less or are insignificant because of your blackness. Some people put bleaching. Some people put weave. Um, my husband is Jamaican, mm-hmm. so I... I went to Jamaica actually for the first time, even though yeah. I'm part Jamaican, I just was not um, interested in the culture until then. But um, I went to Jamaica for the first time last year and I've actually seen people um, like many, mm-hmm. mostly men too, um, were completely like bleached. Like you could tell, you know what I mean? And I, I kept saying like, if only they knew how beautiful they are, like dark skin. And, right. and, and I felt like I had to go out my way to, to tell like the young right. girls and the men and the women, doesn't matter how old they were, you know, that your complexion is beautiful. Even my husband Absolutely. sometimes like, he, he's he's very much more darker than me um but I, I love the complexion you know what i mean i'm i love all complexions but like you said there's a yearning in me to compliment um darker skin individuals more because i know that we live in a society that is already anti-black but me i'm on I, mm-hmm. i'm more of a brown skin so it will be less anti-black for me than for sure them. exactly and that's so important to like have that reflection and just so two things i just wanted to kind of pull out so one we're not going to get into it, but like yeah. the conversation around weaves, I think is again, nuance is often missing, you know, because like, I think that there is absolutely nothing. So this is the thing, right? If any, if someone wants to wear a weave, the assumption is they're doing it because they hate their hair. And I don't think that is fair because yeah, what it does, it takes away black people's ability to want to like express themselves to shape shift and we can do that in so many ways and so I think again we're lacking nuance however we can and have to talk about the fact that historically and currently we have been criminalized for our hair which has led to a deep complex about our yeah. hair which results in for example people feeling like they need to wear weaves um, however I think it's important that we don't start shaming each other 
because you want to put a wig exactly. on or you want to change up your hairdo like in a week, you know what I mean? And so again, going back to compassion, like every time you want to, for me, a good kind of practice to tap into as Black folks in terms of disrupting your own internalized anti-Blackness, I think Black people should be awarded way more space and freedom um, in general. But I think we also don't always allow each other a lot of space and freedom. And so I think about, for example, like just because a Black person is wearing a weave, it does not automatically mean it's because they hate their natural hair. Yeah, definitely. And I think, and I think so often what ends up happening, like that becomes like the mm-hmm, narrative, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, if you're not rocking an Afro, then you're not down for the cause, you know, which is like, again, we need more space and freedom than that. Um, yeah. Not but sure. yeah, so I think that's like an interesting piece around nuance and then a good practice for, you know, checking your own internalized anti-Blackness mm-hmm. um, and then externalized anti-Blackness is like, you know, in mm-hmm, those mm-hmm. moments when you want to like critique or shame or like bring down a Black person for something that they're doing or saying, I really invite us mm-hmm. all to like, you know, before, before we respond, it's like, take a second Right. And like, think about the context that has shaped how this black person is thinking, what they're doing, what they're wearing, how they're reacting, whatever, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. before you go and add mm-hmm. judgment, such an important practice mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. is a hard one as well, because it disrupts so much of how anti-blackness works. Right. Which is to keep us hating ourselves and therefore hating each other. Right. But if we like if we stop in that moment mm-hmm. and we instead choose mm-hmm. compassion, we instead say, OK, let me just like let me just move into this black person with some love. Yeah. Right. It will shift. It will shift the way that we're in mm-hmm. relationship with each other. And so I think about that being so important because we have been conditioned to be anti-black. Yeah. Especially with each other. Right? Like even Baldwin. For sure. Uh, James Baldwin, he mm-hmm. wrote that Negroes in this country are taught really to despise themselves from the moment their eyes open the world. And it's unfortunate for me to say that I'm only becoming aware. Like I've been living in my bubble so much for so Mm -hmm. many years that I'm only really becoming aware the last few years that I've been in school because I was exposed. I I did a minor in anthropology and I I followed a lot Mm. of um, black anthropologists and black sociologists. And I seen that how a lot of the new or the modern era anthropologists and uh, people doing social studies, they keep saying that we have to decolonize uh, the way we study other cultures and decolonize anthropology. And then it had me thinking about how for centuries they have labeled all the other nations and all the other people, all black people and everything like that as the other and have not just exoticized us, but fetishized us at the same time. So I feel this is also why, um, you know, there's a lot of this, anti-blackness is going on in, in within our community because also we're not as educated as it so i i, I congratulate you 100 percent for what you're doing because even though mm-hmm. we could assume what anti-blackness means if if um last week when uh, zupa brought the topic to me if on the spot if i had to think of something you know it would have been right. hard but then afterwards i i could understand because there was a point in my life where anything black on me I didn't like you know what I mean I didn't I didn't like my mm-hmm. hair I didn't like anything you know what I mean I remember right. I would sit on the toilet and be like my thighs are too thick you know what I mean but now everyone wants big thigh big hips and everything like that mm. you know exactly, but exactly. Um, I didn't know then so that I think that it was anti-blackness and I was 12 years old mm-hmm. 13 years old you know so I know how important it is for kids to know but now I want to know what do you suggest is the next step 
So we understand that anti-blackness is a thing, not only, like you said, it's the air we breathe, breathe but we internalize it as a people, as a nation, and that mm-hmm. we should show love and compassion, extra love and compassion to each other because of the, right. how the external world views us. We don't need to view each other like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to hinder our progress. But now the next step is how... Since, since we're focusing on internal, and I, I like to focus on the yeah. black community. I know in our last pod, me and Zuper were talking about, um, you know, non-blacks and their support. And my focus more on, on the black community because I feel like yes, once, please, please. once we get ourselves together, we become a powerhouse as long as we continue moving mm-hmm. in the unit. So how do you feel that we should approach this issue of anti-blackness as a community? For sure. Just before we get to addressing... But I want to spend a little bit more time um, t- talking about it, just because I think there's another another different level, uh, and I think Zupa was was referring to this in some ways, and I want to expand a bit. Um, exactly, and the thing <laughs> is that for me, I feel like me and Tamara, we have a, a different approach to this. For me, I would like to know the different ways in which internalize anti-blackness, because. Now I feel like we've been talking about how it manifests mm-hmm. itself in the black community within our community, which is diff- it's also layered and nuanced. And it, it, there's so many ways that we haven't even right. addressed in the, in the podcast so far. But I have noticed also how some people mm-hmm. in general who are not from the black community, right, even when they're not necessarily racist, they might even be open minded, but the level of internalized anti-blackness you know it's oh, absolutely because it's, it's again everybody the, if we think about it it's you know the air I mean? that we breathe so we're yeah. all breathing the same air that's like a good starting yeah. point point. and the same thing for racism yeah i i highly highly mm-hmm. push back and resist this idea of like are you racist or not and instead the question that we have to be asking is how complicit am i in this racist system it is it is a waste of time to ask or to mm-hmm. debate about whether or not someone is racist because racism is the air we yeah. breathe so the, mm-hmm. the real question is, how complicit are you? Mm-hmm. Same thing, same thing for homophobia, same thing for fat phobia, mm-hmm. same thing for classism. Like these, these things are the air. Mm-hmm. So how complicit yeah. are you? Because we just waste so much time debating about whether or not you are like, yes, you're racist because it's a racist yeah. world. And like, some people don't yes, even we're, know we're they're homophobic racist. Because it's a homophobic world. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. And again, it's like, for me, it's mm-hmm. not helpful to stay there because then we just get trapped in our own guilt and shame and defensiveness and instead be like, wait a second. Okay, for me as a straight person, I understand that homophobia is the air. Therefore, I am breathing in that air. Therefore, I have internalized homophobia. Therefore, I have work to do. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think it's, mm-hmm. it, it actually allows you to get out of that, that rut, that place of defensiveness, if you can just admit that like, whoa, this is the air I breathe, therefore, of course, I'm complicit, right? The question is how exactly. complicit? And then that's where the work happens. Like, we're just wasting so much Absolutely. time talking about are you or are you not? It's like, well, yes, we are because the it's the air, you know? Um, but- Absolutely. Absolutely. And I so I just wanted to, to draw out a few things. One piece around, I absolutely think education is important. However, I also want to Again, because nuance is a thing that's sometimes lost when we're not like, you know, Mm -hmm. in front of each other and feeling each other. Like education looks like a lot of different things. So I also want to disrupt this idea of like education happening in one place, like i.e. the institution. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say so much of what Mm -hmm. I've learned has been outside of the institution. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's also important in terms of disrupting the idea of like education only happens in certain places. And so like which education is more valuable. So that's one piece. The other, 
Yes. And so I, I totally want to talk about the like, you know, the how do we fix it? But I think it's so important that like we spend time really understanding the problem because you can't mm-hmm. fix something that you don't understand. And I think so often, you know, in my work, for example, people yeah. always want like an anti-oppression workshop, um, but no one wants to talk about the oppression. Yeah. And so it's like, well, what are you anti? Right. If you if you want anti-oppression, you have to understand the oppression. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to disrupt and challenge it. And so the yeah. the one and I also totally affirm and agree that I think I want to I want to talk more about black people. I don't actually want to talk about non-black people. But to answer your, your mm-hmm. point, Zupa, absolutely. Non-black people have internalized and externalized anti-blackness all of the time. And so that is that is deep, deep work that people have to do. But for black folks, another the level of anti-blackness that I'm particularly interested in us thinking through and disrupting is on a bigger level, on a more systemic level. Um, and for me, it's understanding that the things that we believe, right, that are that are connected to these systems of oppression. So I'm thinking about things like homophobia, transphobia, yeah. classism, ableism. So all of these systems of oppression that exist to harm people in different ways, right? So homophobia Sexism, exists racism, to harm queer that. people. Yeah. Transphobia exists to harm trans people. Ableism exists to harm people with disabilities. Exactly. And we have to understand how all of these systems of oppression tie back to white supremacy, right? So white, white supremacy is the root or white supremacy is at the top, if you will. And all of these things are, or if you want to call them symptoms of white supremacy, all of these, all of these systems, racism, sexism, classism, yeah. ableism, homophobia, transphobia, mm-hmm. it all connects to this big thing called white supremacy, mm-hmm. right? And white supremacy, as we mm-hmm. spoke about earlier, is the thing that has determined whiteness as a standard. And that standard looks like a very particular thing. And that particular thing in many ways is often the white, mm-hmm. straight, cisgender man who's upper middle to upper class Mm -hmm. you know has status all of these things right all of these boxes are checked and then what happens is that becomes a standard and then his Mm so-called so-called I say because it's not but so-called equal is a white cis straight Mm -hmm. middle to upper class woman Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. these become the standard for white supremacy and then also their children, their and children, right? Because it's across ages. And if this mm-hmm. is the standard, then that mm-hmm. means anything that does not meet the standard is therefore not adequate. So every time we, as black people, critique gay people yeah. or queer people yeah. or trans people yes. or poor people, we're not, we need to understand that what we're doing is we're reproducing white supremacy, right? Because what we're mm-hmm. saying is you That's are it. not fitting into mm-hmm. this standard that I am aspiring to because I've been conditioned to believe this is the standard, right? And so for me, mm-hmm. I personally believe for a lot of, I say us, I don't, I don't know the, the two of you, but like for myself, I'm a, I'm a straight person and I'm a cisgender person. So when I think about like straight and cis black people, for me, what what's actually happening when we are witnessing queer and trans people living their lives and living their truth, mm-hmm. I think we are challenged by that because our whole lives we have been told this is the box that you have to stay in so when we see other black people who are like you know f that box that's internal disruption yeah that's so true in one of the responses we got from our followers one person said monogamy i had to like really pick her brain on it she said monogamy and uh, zuba messaged me and zuba was like you mean uh 
uh, polygamy, right? And I was like, no, she means yes. monogamy. And she broke it down to me because I, I even remember reading it from a one, I think it was a sociologist who wrote a big paper on that. On no. how, uh, you know, the Western Christian Absolutely. world decided to come into Africa and tell Africa that, you know, uh, this is wrong to eat, this is wrong to do, you can't have many wives and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So when she said that monogamy is a way that we internalize yep. anti-blackness because, you know, um, historically, polygamy was a part of the African culture before, you know, a lot of uh, the Western influences and European influences and, and everything like that. So that's a way that we internalize fitting into a societal box, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought this up. I'm also just like for clarity, speaking from very, very limited knowledge as someone who does practice mm -hmm. monogamy, right? And so, mm -hmm. it, and it goes beyond our, our intimate relationships, because even thinking about like family structures, right? So the family, the normative family structure, according mm -hmm. to white supremacy, is a white yeah. man, who is the husband, a white mm -hmm. woman who's the wife, two kids, preferably a boy and a girl, mm -hmm. Are way and than a that. dog, right? So we have like yeah. this normative idea of what a family is. And mm -hmm. if you think about black families, so many of our families look like it's so many different things. And beyond black people, mm -hmm. even the way, for example, yeah. so many communities of yeah. color, yeah. we live with our Absolutely. grandparents and aunties and cousins and a, our a cousin, cousin quote someone else. We all have one of those. No one really <laughs> knows who, but he's been living here for yeah. us, right? Yeah. Our idea of family is so much more expansive. Exactly. And we don't differentiate. Like we don't talk about like second, third, fourth, like everyone's a cousin. Yeah, Our entire way of being is posed as abnormal. Well, bringing me back to when Tamara was asking, like, what can we do? And then you said something about the acknowledgement of mm -hmm. how you fit into these ideologies personally. Like, just for example, talking about homophobia. Like, I am an African woman. I was raised in that yes. culture. It was homophobic, you know? And so... At some point, mm -hmm. I, you know, we get to a point where because of the society we live in, we try mm -hmm. to feed ourselves these lies that we're not, we're not it. Mm -hmm. I'm not homophobic, right? And then you try so hard to tell yourself that you're not right. it, that you don't actually do mm -hmm. the work yeah. of not yeah. becoming it. You know what I mean? And at some point I was like, hey, stop it. You know, tune into that feeling. And yeah. ever since that, I honestly yeah, feel I'm like I have that. become less and less and less homophobic i become more and more mm -hmm. inclusive you know what i mean and i and i still have work to do because this was a socialization that was you know it, it's mm -hmm. embedded yeah. in my identity and so i feel like sure. when it comes to even racism this is this the same thing even to anti-blackness which is more precise a, a more precise manifestation of racism you know what i mean like for me for example i i was thinking about because I love Insecure, I think. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you guys watch yeah, it. Yeah. Well, I know you watch it tomorrow. <laughs> I haven't so, seen the last season. In that no, show, no major I find spoilers. that it's so powerful. <laughs> because I just love the fact that it's a dark-skinned woman who does not have the, your typical body type. Who's mm -hmm. out there living her life. Just being black. And I feel like it's it's magic for me to, to see that. I love it. It just makes, it makes me mm. feel better about myself. Having something like this to watch. And we need we need more of that because we also have to like yeah. in the same time it's also pretty wild that Issa Rae is like so different in that sense because in many ways she still aligns with like normative exactly. things like you know standards of beauty. Like seeing her sometimes I'm like damn girl like I remember mm -hmm. having these thoughts right and then I had to correct this yeah. I'm like what's wrong with me you know I'm Do looking at with her your hair. and I'm like you're really gonna go out like that you, right. you know your jawline is like you know it's showing you know we yeah. can see your yeah. jaw we can see you know what I mean all her features 
are yeah. here for us to see, you know. And I feel like as a black girl, personally, you know, with my forehead, uh, you you always have those those um, features on you that are not what is considered to mm. be beautiful. That you try to do camouflage, you try to hide. You know what I mean? And she was putting it right. in your face. You know what I mean? And for so sure, I'm Okay, yep. Isa. Okay, I don't know where we're going with this. And then at some point, you get mm. used to seeing her this way, and you find her beautiful. And now she's just like a, a unicorn to me. You know what I mean? And Absolutely. she makes me feel like, hey, just let your hair down. You know, yep. like go out with your hair nappy. It, it doesn't matter. Who cares? You know, that's you. And I really feel mm. like we need more of this. We need more people like us being fully themselves mm-hmm. in front of the world. You know. Absolutely. And it's like, how, it's like, how do we, again, another thing, like, what can we do? Right. So whether it's in your home, Mm -hmm. whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your friend group, whether it's at an event, whatever the context is, right. Exactly. What can you do with your power to shift the conditions so that black people Mm -hmm. can show up more free? If you just ask yourself that question every day, right. No matter what room you walk into, like, what can I do to Mm -hmm. shift the conditions so that black people can show up Mm -hmm. here more free, you know? And I think it's so Can I share, uh, do I have time to share a theory? Go ahead. Okay, I've been thinking through this theory. I was talking to a friend about it the other day. um, And I've been thinking about it for a while, but Mm -hmm. it's it's clarified for me. So Mm -hmm. about hair, and so much of the conversation is is centered around hair um, because it's historical, right? Um, No, yeah. Which is why, FYI, like when people appropriate our hairstyles, it it has meaning, right? Because it's not just hair, it's history. And... So yes, so my theory around mm-hmm. internalized anti-blackness and yes. our fear of water. So bear with me. So so my friend, she sent me this video and it was it was on Instagram and it was this little yeah, like yeah, I'm yeah. reading her as a black girl, this little black girl sitting at the mm-hmm. edge of the pool. It was like a swimming class. And mm-hmm. so it was this, this little black girl, mm-hmm. two other kids, and the, mm-hmm. the swimming teacher was pouring a bucket of water. Mm-hmm over over each of their heads M- mind you like they're sitting in the pool right so they're in water mm-hmm. and what ends up happening is when the swimming teacher gets to this little black girl the black girl gets up and runs away yeah and the the like ha 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 mm-hmm. joke is we all get it because this black girl at four years old mm. knows that she can't get her hair wet this is so deep right because when you think about water water is one of the most healing things mm. right When you think about when your body is in, of course, everyone has different experiences. So this is totally like my bias here. It's amazing. It's so relaxing. If you enjoy being in water, think about like what it is to just like allow your body to just like totally sink Mm -hmm. and be free, right? Like effortless, right? Like weightless, you literally disappear. And so if you think Mm -hmm. about all of us who have lived almost our entire lives, not being able to fully do that because we can't get our hair wet. Right. And so this little girl sitting on the edge of the pool at a swimming class where it would be appropriate for her to get her hair wet. She Mm -hmm. knew Mm -hmm. this can't happen. And so, again, I always say, you know, before we critique, take a step back. And what is the context? Right. So the context is anti-blackness. The context is also things like, you know, access to wealth, because who has who has money to be getting their hair done? Yeah, you got to wait till or, next you month. Know, or, exactly, mm-hmm. or if you just got your hair done, your mm-hmm. mom is going to say, watch the water because I can't afford for you to get another braid up. 
However, yeah. we have yeah. to talk about the other layer of anti-blackness, which is your hair has to be quote unquote done because it has to be acceptable, presentable, palatable. Mm. You know, in between you get your braids taken out and your mom wants to give you a hair because your scalp's tender. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I would just like pick out my hair, go to school and just put a band. You know how many times I got brought to the principal's yeah. office and they told me my hair was messy? And I yeah. took it because you know what? I wasn't aware of it. It's not something that you discuss more. I just said, okay, my hair is messy. You know, I, I went home. I told my mom I was in the principal's mm. office. She sent me back to school with my hair like that the next day. You know what I mean? And she was supposed to braid my hair, but she didn't. You know, uh, she didn't explain to me what she was doing. Right. Or why she was making that stance. She didn't explain yeah. anything to me, but I went back to school and I got a demerit point again because my hair was, quote unquote, mm. messy. So it's like for the next generation coming up, we have to do a better job at educating our community and educating the younger generations coming up. Because a lot of things and a lot of them are experiencing these things and they're not even aware of what it is. Absolutely. And I think, again, you know, I go back to compassion, mm -hmm. especially for black parents who are really doing whatever they could to survive, mm -hmm. you know, and for their children to survive. And so I, I have a lot of compassion there because they did what yeah. they could with what they had. But exactly. I, I absolutely agree now because they did that work. We are now in a position to disrupt that. Yeah. And so what that mm -hmm. means is we know that black children at four <laughs> years old are experiencing mm -hmm. anti-blackness mm -hmm. in the classroom. So that means as hard as it is, as hard it is, as it yeah. is to imagine having to talk to your four, exactly. five, six, seven yeah. year old black child about anti-black racism, they are experiencing it already. And for, for all of us who have spent, you know, like in many ways, you know, our, our mm. early to mid to late twenties, like realizing these things and doing this unlearning, it's so intense. And it's like, what, what would things have looked like, you know, if we had some of this knowledge before and we didn't have to spend all of those years, you know, either hating ourselves or hating each other and then having to spend all of this time unlearning mm -hmm. that. And it's a hard thing. And I always say, I'm not a parent. Something I read from Dark Skin Women. Right? It's a, an account on uh, Instagram, okay? So they said, how to mm -hmm. start eradicating anti-Blackness. Um, acknowledging it and addressing it how have you contributed to oh, nice. anti-blackness through personal interactions educating yourself mm -hmm. on the history of anti-blackness identifying celebrating and speaking about black excellence right supporting black-owned businesses and black-led organizations listen to and believing black people when they speak about mm -hmm. race racism discrimination exclusion and prejudice not challenging the movements of unity amongst Black communities, but instead embracing it and having conversations mm -hmm. about anti-Blackness. So with all that we talked about and everything like this, I want to ask you, you know, on the topic mm -hmm. of internalized anti-Blackness, for all our listeners out Absolutely. there, Black and non-Blacks alike, what last piece of encouragement or mm -hmm. what word could you leave with them today? Can I be really annoying and just say one thing before I answer this? Go ahead. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay. I just, just because I'm black excellence that it flagged it for me. I, and I think, you know, just an example of internalized anti-blackness is what we consider to be black excellence, right? Mm -hmm. So if you are only yeah. considering something mm -hmm. to be black excellence That's because hot. it's reproducing what you have considered to be successful under yeah. white standards, that is internalized mm -hmm. anti-blackness. And what that often looks like is black excellence because they got a degree yeah. mm -hmm. or because they got this like top CEO job. And that is Excellent. our definition of yeah. success under mm -hmm. white supremacy, right? So I really want us to think yeah. about like, what are all of the different mm -hmm. ways that black people are excelling 
and moving into their power. You know what I mean? So just throwing that in there because I think internalized classism comes in there. And I think about myself who is university educated. So it's very easy for me to to judge something, right, based on my perspective. So another example is I think about primarily poor Black kids who create so much of what we understand as Black culture, Mm-hmm. yet are not awarded for it or credited for it mm-hmm. yet we like capitalize mm-hmm. on it you know and then we, sh- we shame layers, those black definitely. kids and we call them ghetto we call them uneducated so there's there's lots of things to unpack there yeah yes just wanted to add, throw that in there but the one thing that I would say and this is this is maybe for another oh, podcast yes. as well but I'll just kind of like leave a little teaser like I've really been thinking about the body a lot and mm-hmm. For me, one of the the most important things that we have to do is to return to our bodies and to and to reconnect to our bodies. And I say that because one thing that white supremacy does in order for it to function, it forces us, us all to cut ourselves off at the neck. So if you like take your hand and you put it yeah. at your neck, yeah. what white supremacy yeah. teaches us is to stay in our heads, right? To stay logical and objective, only yeah. based on fact, right? not emotion. Mm-hmm. And what it mm-hmm. does, it tells us to forget about everything below our neck, but below mm-hmm. your neck is your heart and your gut, right? Your nervous system yeah. extends all the way through your body. Mm-hmm. And so if you are cut off, you are not going to tap into your body mm-hmm. and you're not going to be able to connect with the land, with other people, with yourselves, with your culture, with your history. Yeah. So white supremacy wants yeah. us to be and disconnected from our bodies so that we're not that feeling. There's so many layers But like right now, I think what's happening, why people are so activated is we have very few distractions. Mm -hmm. And so people are being forced to feel, feel things in their bodies that they have been able to suppress and ignore because capitalism is annoying. Yes. And Shanice, it has been more than a pleasure. I feel like there's so much more. This is not going to be the last thing no. So we want to thank you for joining and sharing Mm -hmm. your input with us and decimating all that knowledge that you have acquired. And you know what? Keep doing what you're doing because you're an amazing person and you have great information and knowledge to share. And it's going to educate a lot of people. Everybody that you come in contact with will be blessed. And I speak that over your life. And to everyone who's listening, as Mm -hmm. usual, you uh, you know, um, if you agree, if you don't agree, comment your feedback. Let us know what you think. And we'll see you next episode. You can dream but don't neglect that